It's been a while, but we're back. Coach's Drive podcast. Chad, it's week, what is it, week four now? You're three. Yeah. No, well, we had a game canceled. What is it, week five? Because you played all your We've played four games. Going into week five. How are you feeling so far about this year? Um, it's going okay right now. Are you at about the, to get a whole lot harder. Are you at the point where the grind has started to kick in and you're like, it'd be nice to have a day off or is it still just no. easy going? No, I definitely wouldn't want a day off. That's like, we don't have school next Friday and I'm not very happy about it. Like I don't want any variables to change. Like I want everything <laughs> to be the exact same every single day. I'm not saying like actually get a day off. I'm saying if you could have a, time be frozen and you just be able to sit there for a day and not have to do anything like is it at the point where you've done that much football already or is it still just we're good no yeah i mean i think once you get into a rhythm i feel like i'd like get sick or something if i like had a day off like my immune system would take a break and i just shut down or something it'd be too hard to get back into it um yeah it's, it's good how's it for you I'm good. We had a week off, though, so it's a lot oh, different Oh, yeah. Us. Jeez. You literally, for those of y'all listening, this dude literally had a week off. Like, yep. no school, no practice, no meetings, just a week off because of Hurricane. Hurricane Dorian at the beach. Everybody had to evacuate. You only have one day, but, yeah, I'm good. I mean, we've, we've, had, a day, we've had a week off, so it's kind of weird, but I'm getting used to it being here at the beach. Um, speaking of the beach, Coastal Carolina got a big win against Kansas. Um, which looks better now because Kansas beat Boston College pretty handily. That uh, was it last Friday night. Yeah, they yeah, killed they them on the road, yeah. which is really cool for Les Miles. But yeah, Coastal, which if you listen to the podcast, you heard Coach Chad will speak, the head coach there, um, got a big win against Kansas, which was awesome for them. But we actually got the opportunity to talk to Coach Staggs about his defense. And Coach Staggs is the defensive coordinator at Coastal. And they've been really good so far this season. They, uh, I mean, what, Kansas scored six points. Norfolk State, they just played and beat. Scored, I think, maybe a touchdown. Um, but he's an awesome coach. He actually coached me at North Greenville. Um, he was a defensive coordinator there. He was a GA under Coach Lou Holtz. But um, had a great time talking to him. And he talked to us about the 3-4 defense. And he talked to us about playing hard. And the reason that I chose um, playing hard is one of those topics. I talked to Chad about it. And one of the things that I remember the most from him is he got everybody to play extremely hard with great effort. And uh, he talks about that, talks about 3-4. He talks about some stories from when he was coaching with Lou Holtz. So y'all check in. We're going to listen to Coach Staggs on the Coach's Drive podcast. Coach Staggs down at Coastal Carolina. I want to start this off, Coach, with a – a question, and uh, just to let everybody know, Coach Staggs was my coach at North Greenville. He was the defensive coordinator there for me. Uh, so, flashback, we're going to 2011, Coach. We are playing Delta State in the quarterfinals of the Division II playoffs. We got on the bus to leave North Greenville. And I specifically remember I was sitting near the front of the bus, and I was sitting near Willie Korn, who coaches with you now. He was our quarterback. And the offensive guys on the bus and the defensive guys, we were all riding together, and that typically doesn't happen. So the offensive guys are like being loud and telling jokes. And then I start laughing. My personality was to kind of chime in on that. And I remember I said something. I started laughing really hard. And I just remember you going, Johnny, what are you doing laughing, man? We got a game to play. You've been hanging around the offense too much. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what is it that makes offensive players inherently more soft than defensive players? 
And also, do you remember doing that and acknowledge it was 24 hours before the game and we had not even got on the plane yet? <laughs> well, uh, that, that's a lot of questions in there I need to answer. One, I wouldn't say the offensive guys are softer defensive guys. However, you know me, we, we did try to portray that as we, we were playing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I specifically remember, but it wouldn't surprise me because uh, – <laughs> Uh, that that is how I handle the bus, and you got to remember too. At North Greenville, I was doing I was a defensive coordinator. I did all the team travel, and we're getting on a plane flight that you find out on Sunday you're flying. We've yeah. been Saturday, and I had to organize the entire trip, so I might have been a little stressed. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, the, it, you know, it's that was that's our ongoing deal. Like we're defensively, we have a different mindset. When you get to pregame, like I don't like talking. I mean, we're focused. We're kind of the mentality of as you would know, we're gladiators once we hit the field. I mean, it's a battle. And if you were going to fight for your life, you wouldn't be goofing off for it. You know, that's just the approach that, that we kind of have and being under Coach Holtz and stuff, that was how it was. I mean, it was no talking. So I kind of had that mentality where offensively, they if they get too tight, they don't play as well. And so there's a thin line between being intense and so forth, and that's just kind of how I approach it. And over my getting a little bit older, I've – loosened up a little bit on Friday, but once it hits Saturday, it's the same It's the same approach. Like, I don't like this goofing off pregame meal stuff, which people have different ways to do it. That's just the way I, I do it. I understand that completely. I just thought it was funny looking back on it and uh, always remember that. And uh, I guess I kind of changed my mentality a little bit riding with the offensive guys, and then I straightened back up and got ready to roll with the defensive guys <laughs> when we got there for game day. I mean, but, you uh, Ford, and, you know, he's a goofball himself. <laughs> And Lawrence Chastain, some of those guys, like, it would yeah. drive me nuts to be on trips with those guys. I wouldn't know how to handle it. Now, after a game, it'd be great because you have a good time having fun with them. But, you know, after the games, I, we had a good time on the bus. But before, we, we were pretty focused. Yeah, your blood pressure probably would have caused you to have some kind of medical condition before the game if you'd have rode with them. You wouldn't have been ready to coach. So, yeah, I, good thing you were a defensive coach. You know, sometimes the specialists are different, too. They're their own world. And, and sometimes we would get the bus list and have some of the specialists on our bus. And I'd go to them, even though we're supposed to be honest. No, y'all got to ride the offensive bus. I'd, I'd get involved just because I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting stressed out. Y'all on that bus. He's like, but the list, I don't care what the list says. You're on that bus. Or I controlled the list at that point, so I always made sure I put them over there. Not but, letting a long snapper make you lose it. I got it. Just go. Yeah, but it, it wasn't worth it in the grand scheme of things. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Coach, I know you at North Greenville had a lot of uh, there were a lot of things that defined you, and I think one of the ones that defined you the most was you got guys to play hard, and you got guys to give effort, and I think one of the most important things to you was getting 11 men to the football. I remember getting to college and just being like, man, like we really have to run to the ball all the time. So I think something that can help coaches is what do you do in practice to ensure that your guys are being coached to get to the football? What do you do to um, enforce that? Well – um, I don't know that there's a secret recipe for it. I think the main thing is you got to get the guys to believe in it. Um, uh, and I've done some things over the past, but I remember the first meeting I had, you probably wasn't there yet with them, is I don't care about anything, but we're going to play hard. Like that's the number one goal. And you set that standard and you make the guys live to that standard and you never lower it. And I, to do that, though, you got to be willing to hold the best player just as a cowboy as maybe the guy that's not but third string on the on the thing. And I think maybe if you're with me, I, I kind of tried to I tried to do that. Everybody was held to the same standard, even if they, they were all conference guy or whatever. And you gotta be willing to 
move somebody up the depth chart if they're not maintaining that standard, no matter how good they are. And when you get that culture set and that standard set, then everybody buys in. But it's all about the players buying in and believing that that's what they need to do. And that and that's what I've had to do or tried to, to do everywhere I was. You know, I do some things differently now from, you know, if you got high school coaches or college coaches where I'm listening to this. We start now, uh, we, we'll do a meeting uh, when I went to the program and we basically sat down to let them come up with what is the core values that we want to be on defense. And I kind of give them some guidelines, right? Think about, you know, what you see on video of teams that are playing great, you know, the, the Steelers defense in the days and the, you know, the great players, Ray Lewis, how they played and, and try to say, think about them and what do you want the other coach to say about you in his press conference when he turns it on before the game or after the game about the defense. And so then we let them kind of come up with them. And they're usually pretty much the same thing the coach is going to say. Then we go through how we're going to execute those things. Um, you say you want to play with relentless effort or great effort, whatever it is. How are you going to do that? Well, you can't loaf, uh, loaf to the ball in practice. You know, you got to play with the same mentality. And so, so we go through that list. Conditioning in the summer is important. If you're going to play hard, you got to be in shape. And so you, it's amazing how they come up with it. Then it's my job. They see the core values. It's visualized and presented to them. Now they know the standard they're held up to. I kind of just did it there where I involve them now and we list them so they have uh, a visual of it and they're held to that standard. So that's kind of how we uh, approach it now. So your way of handling a great player that might not be completely buying in, is it moving them down the depth chart or whatever? Is that the way that you handle that? Um, when it's a guy who might fly around, you know, 75% of the time, another 25% is kind of hanging back. I'm sure we get that more in high school than you do in college, but is that how you handle that when you have someone who's not completely buying in? I, I, you know, that's not black or white, but for sure that's the best way to handle it. Coach Spurrier used to use the statement, the coach's best friend's the bench sometimes. And – it, it's it's tough because you got to handle everybody a little differently. Uh, and I, I do a little bit of mind games with them, and Johnny would take, call them soft every now and then here or there, and uh, just to get the most out of them. But you got to be, that is kind of the idea behind it. Uh, but the trick to it is getting the best players as the leaders of that culture. And when the best players are the leader of the culture, then everything's like that. You, Johnny can remember, I mean, some of the best players we had there were some of the hardest players on defense. And when those are the guys, then the ones that are not playing as much, see, that's what I need to do to execute it. And that's different in college to high school because, you know, we're trying to create guys just to play one way. And a lot of high school guys play both ways. They're playing 120 snaps a game where, you know, we go into the game, we try to have depth chart at D-line as the ones and twos are the ones. We try to get them 30 reps a game. So it ain't hard for Johnny to go out there and play 30 snaps as hard as he could, and then the other guy's playing 30. Then you kind of have another guy that can pick up 10 or so. That's right. 70 snaps a game. It's harder to do that in high school because, you know, that's the hardest thing when I get freshmen is they don't play very hard. And so this is a culture shock when they get there. I'm sure John's like, you mean I got to sprint every play? Yes, or you're going to be running after. I mean, you you got different ways to get there. But, yeah, that, that that's kind of the approach. Now, I know that you're a 3-4 odd front guy. I've had – I am too, like just in my heart. If I was a defense coordinator, that's what I would do. Both of my defense coordinators as the head coaches have both been even front guys, and I can't get either one of them to change. Tell them who – both of them are listening to this. Tell them why I'm right and everybody needs to run an odd front all the time. Wow. 
put me on the spot there. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know this right for everybody. The ultimate thing is you got to know what you know. Uh, you got to do what you you know, uh, uh, because you got to have the answers to what they're doing, and you got to have that quickly within a defensive game to be able to have those answers. To me, though. If you're an offensive guy, most of those guys don't like going against odd fronts. So that would be the answer to your question why they need to do it. However, we're labeled as a 3-4, but we probably reduction down and play as much four down as three down. So we're able to give the offense more to work on. They were going to have to work on a four down scheme, a three down scheme, then the pressure package. And then Johnny would tell you, or if you watched us, then third down is when we got probably get more creative in terms of there's always something new that week and, so that's the way we approach it. They have to approach different fronts, and they have certain plays that they like to run to the different fronts. Then they don't know if we're going to be in it, and then we stem around a lot. So we want to be multiple, but to do that, you really kind of base everything out of a three-down front, but we still gap everything out. So we still basically slant to over and under, which is what they're playing now. We just do it from movement, which is puts a little more on the D-line. That's where it becomes a little more tricky is you got to have a line coach that can coach all the techniques because to slant and step to a double team is different than playing a three technique or to a double team and so forth. Right. Um, so for me, I think in the high school level, a lot of things that get people sort of caught up in, I mean, we've sort of simplified is how you marry the coverages based on which side you're reducing from. Um, at the high school level, a lot of times places I've been, it's just been very simple. If you're reducing from the weak side, you got to play cover two, reduce from the strong side, playing cover three. Um, do y'all keep it that simple at the college level, or do y'all get more complex with the different run fits and who's the force player and all that stuff? Well, you're, it, that is kind of the basic idea. If, if our boundary guy's coming, there's no different than if you're playing a four down, that's your fourth rusher anyway, uh, if you're playing a four down. So you can play all the coverages you're going to play there. Where it got a little bit more difficult is anytime you reduction from the strong side or to the field, you were kind of locked into cover three. Right. Then we did some spin two stuff where you could take the outside backer to the boundary, cut him under one and go to cover two, but still reduction from the field. But it looked like you were going to cover three. Right. The fits get a little bit different there. Excuse me, but they're very similar. So everything we do, we try to keep simple. So it in a sense, we're playing multiple fronts and all these things, but the way I describe to these guys is it's the same defense. We're looking different. So it's actually a lot simpler for us than it probably looks. Um, but over time, we've developed a few things talking with – I say we uh, – I kind of – obviously, we steal a lot of stuff from everybody. But we come up some little cool ways we can reduction a little bit from the field and still play some quarters kind of things and cover two uh, – but you have to kind of tweak some of your fit stuff. And and that's been some stuff for the last probably three, four years. That's one of the things we broke out versus North Dakota State where it crossed in Southern that year on, on TV. Um, so there are some tricky ways, but it's a little more complicated. The simplest way is like the side of your reduction, you replace them with a the safety. That That is right. the easiest way. Right. And guys, if you're if you're listening, when they say reduction, all that means is there's an outside linebacker that's going to be coming off of the edge typically, and the defensive line is slanting away from where he's coming. So that's what – if you if you're hearing reduction and you're like, huh, what's that mean? That's just saying that they're going to slant their D-line one way and bring a, a fourth guy off the edge. So that's how it can be similar to an even front because you're still getting that fourth guy. And it actually is good because a lot of times you'll get a really athletic guy to be that outside linebacker, and he can be really hard to block, especially as he's getting movement and coming off the edge. Um, Coach, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, my point of view, I played defensive line. I was a four technique in the 3-4 defense. Um, 
Is it difficult for you to get defensive linemen to buy in when they're in an odd front to the idea of, and I know you don't say this, but in a 3-4 defense, you're not pinning your ears back and just going and getting the football. Your job is to take on the double teams, to fit in your gap, and to take on blocks and let a lot of those linebackers make plays. And you don't tell your guys, y'all aren't going to make all the plays, but in reality, that defense is not designed, unless you're just a dominant guy, you're probably not going to make a ton of plays as a, a four technique or a nose guard, but you can be a great player because you can take on double teams and, and help your other linebackers, uh, help your linebackers make those plays. Is it hard to get your defensive lineman to buy into that idea of being a guy who fills a gap and takes on those blocks a lot of the time? Yeah, well, if you remember, uh, you didn't two gap, and so when no. you two gap, you're taking up blocks. We slant around for and essentially. Uh, Really, our D-line makes a lot of plays because now they can out-athlete no lineman. And he doesn't know where he's going, so you put him in a little bit. So, our, actually, our D-linemen end up probably making more plays by slanting them around. The perception is 3-4, your gap, gap holders and holding on to people and stuff. And you have to do that at certain blocks. But we also turn them loose. So, if they're tr truly zoning and you're beating that tackle, well, heck, you're gone. Uh, and so – it, it's, it's a little of both, but we, we don't we're not we really want our D line to cut loose and play. From a recruiting standpoint, you know, if you're trying to go get a six five guy that's a great pass rusher and this and that, he's not gonna fit a four technique slant very well anyway. So you end up recruiting the guys that are twitchier, a little smaller, stronger, maybe a little shorter than a four three guy. So you end up kinda those are the guys that maybe the power five guys are not recruiting anyway because they're too short. Well, they're perfect for us because they have the ability you want. Yeah. They're a little shorter, and they're a little harder to block on the movement stuff. So uh, you kind of end up re recruiting in your wheelhouse where we're not trying to battle a 4-3 power five guy uh, to try to get the same guy because we're taking a different type of D lineman anyway. Um, and so we traditionally have recruited those shorter, twitchier, explosive I mean, we were pretty good at Charleston up front. We were really good. And and those guys didn't have problems, uh, you know, making players. The player of the year was a D lineman two years in a row. So he wow. he, no, he didn't have problems making a lot of plays. I got you. Would you ideally, if you could, would you have guys that could two-gap across the board and just take on that guy and sling him down? I mean, is that your ideal vision to have a guy like that? Or do you like being able to slant those guys around more and move them? Uh, if if I'm ever at a point where I feel like I can dominate someone by just two-gapping and playing ball, I can be a really good coach. That, <laughs> that means that one guy's better than two of those guys across the board. And yeah. I don't know if you'll ever get to that. I, know, I, I, I don't even dream about that. So we just dream about coming up ways to flat them around. Yeah. Uh, the two gapping thing I feel like is becoming like more, almost old school at this point. Like very few people do it anymore. I think for the most part, everybody's just going to that where you're reducing all the time. Everybody's slanting and doing that thing. I feel like it was, I don't know, that probably kind of went out of fashion sort of mid two thousands probably. Yeah, I, I guess we, I, we've never, I mean, we, have, we play with Johnny white. Do you think he could two gap? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, senior year, bring me a true freshman. I'll two gap him. Put him on his butt. Hey, you're, you're, you're saying two gap, but y'all get double teams. You got a two gap and hold on to a gap. So. <laughs> Coach, all right, we got a lot of defensive coordinators listening. I uh, wanted you to kind of put yourself in the shoes of a high school coach here. What would you do if you were going to a new school, you were the DC? When you look around that room and you kind of see the film, what would you suggest would be uh, the, what personnel 
would a team have to make them be more of a 3-4 type team? Do you think if they just don't have a lot of big body defensive linemen guys, they should be in that 3-4 defense? Or do you think, hey, you've got some really good D linemen, you should be in an even front? Do you think that your personnel can dictate uh, which type of defense you run? Or do you think you just plug them into your system and go? No, I think for sure good coaches figure out a way to blend their offense or defense to the personnel they have. For example, for us, we may be more four down one year than, than three down, and we may be more three down than four. And then what then a good coach is able to blend their system. Now, you've got to recruit to it to try to get to that point. But, you you're, you know, if you just ask a kid to constantly do something that he can't do, you're a bad coach, in my opinion. So uh, there's no right or wrong answer, uh, but that's the way we approach it. You just have to look at the personnel and decide based on that rather than saying, hey, we're doing what I want to do no matter what because this is, you know, what I want to do. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we would install the defense, our defense, but the thing about our defense is it has enough um, things in it that we could blend. If we're more of a four-down front team, we can still play a little three-down, but we can reduction down. So you get best of both worlds. Uh, if you're not a great quarters, if your corners are not able to hold up, then you got to be, you know, the last couple of years we were, uh, we, we struggled a little bit sometimes at Furman and uh, at corner, and you just can't go one-on-one out there as much. So you had to do some things and bail them off and press them and play some quarter halves and mix in some cover three. You had to do things where at Charleston, our corners were really good. I was like, heck, we'll put eight, nine, ten in the box or whatever it is based off them, and we just lock you down. We'll press you up and no help, and we'll win. And if you're able to do that, you can be better, but – I can't do that with everybody that I have. So you got to do it based on personnel that's in the room. Yeah. Coach, what has been the offense? You've been, let me think of this right. You were at Carolina. That's right. right. You were at Carolina. Then you went to Charleston Southern. Is that right? For one year. Mm-hmm. One year. Then New- North Greenville, Delta State, uh, Charleston Southern, Furman, and now Coastal. You've that's seen right. a lot of offenses. <laughs> what offense was the toughest you've ever had to defend based on their their scheme. Which offense throughout your career has been the one? I remember when we were at North Greenville, when we played triple teams, we had to put a lot of time in, do a lot of different things to prepare for that. Which one is the most – gives you the biggest headache to prepare for uh, has been the most difficult? Well, the triple is um, the most different from week to week because you're, you're offense and you're going to get some you prepare against what your offense does. So most of them – those are not under center kind of triple teams and we do it here beside the gun, which is completely different in my opinion. So uh, that is probably the most difficult. However, we've been pretty successful because we spent a lot of time on it and, you know, we were, we got our tails kicked the first year at North Greenville. Then after that, then when I think that was the year you were there, we, we kind of gave them some run for the money and played them really well, better than anybody else. And then, then we played Citadel a lot and Kennesaw. And so over time, we've developed a way to defend it. So to answer your question is, yes, that's probably the most difficult. However, we've spent so much time on it and have defended it. We feel like we've got the answers to try to prepare our guys for it. So I wouldn't say that's the most difficult. However, in the reality, it it is because they don't see it as much. All right. So coach, I know that you, um, have some experience with Lou Holtz. We had Coach Kimmery on um, a couple episodes ago and asked him the same thing, um, and he gave us a, a great impression and everything to go along with it. Um, you got any, like, good Lou Holtz stories or any experiences you had with him? Yeah, I heard – I, I kind of flashed on Kimmery's uh, uh, 
interview there and, and heard his impression. He he still probably got me on the impression. It's good. It is good. He said it he's is. In the top three. So I don't know where I rank, but after I'll try to do it and see see what you guys think. But uh, Coach Holtz was, uh, you know, he he. I was a GA. I mean, I'm a nobody there and whatever. Well, we finished the season. You remember when they had the black helmets that year and they came out? Well, we're in a staff meeting and the full-timers sat around the table and all the GAs sat around the outside. And I just happened to be sitting probably the closest to it. Usually wanted to not your name not to come up. He's sitting there and coach would sit at the end of the table and he would talk super quiet. Like no one at the end of the table could really hear him. He would look down and he would kind of talk and whatever. So he's looking down. He never even looks at me. He goes, hey, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. And I'm just kind of looking. And he gets louder. Hey, Charlie. And I look up. He's looking at me. And, uh, I, yes, sir. You know, like, oh, crap. First of all, he's calling me Charlie. My name's Chad. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, hey, Charlie, go to my office and get that helmet off my desk. We're going to change it up a little bit. <laughs> yes, sir. And I took off and went and got the helmet and brought it back in. Thanks, Charlie. Yes, sir. Sit down. No one said a word. I didn't say a word. No assistant coach said a word. No one, <laughs> We're no just going to keep going with it. Just You're Charlie forever it. now. Just go with it. So. <laughs> in that moment, is there even a thought in your head, I'm going to correct Lou Holtz and tell him, Coach, my name is Chad. No thought of that? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'll be Charlie Either, forever if I have to. The fear that people had with him, and he wasn't that big of a guy, but just the it was amazing how so many people can fear just a small person like it was just unbelievable you know he never raised his voice or said anything to me and i was still frightened of him you know was there is he a guy that as an as an assistant coach for him was he a guy that people feared was he a guy that would come down pretty hard on you yeah he he was a coach of fear kind of guy or out of fear um and i don't know if he always he was hard on the assistant coaches uh, i mean he demanded a lot of stuff out of them uh and so that kind of probably went, just moved down the ladder a little bit to us. Uh, but no, he was, he was, I mean, for example, we get to the office, if we come play, and he had these nice cars, these dealer cars, he still drove this old beat up tempo or something, you know, and he come flying, he drove like crazy. He go flying in, you'd see him, you'd bolt and start going up the elevator, you'd go up the stairs because he was like, didn't want to ride the elevator because he was still scared of him. Like, or, or if you did end up on the elevator and he was on the third floor, you'd punch the third floor button, not punch your second floor button, so you'd ride up and drop him off and then come back. Okay? <laughs> um, I mean, you were like, because he was on a time schedule, man. I mean, it was what it is. I remember I was on there one time and uh, I hit the third floor and I'm just sitting there, not saying a word, you know, good morning. Hey, are you? Char <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> And I, he's like, are you going to the second floor? Uh, yes, sir. He punches the button for me. I'm like, as a, as a win. <laughs> Lou Holtz didn't make me ride up the third floor. He punched the second floor so I could get off. Wow. Um, What's the hardest? Go ahead, Jed. I wanted to, is this the next one I wanted to ask? No, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I know that being a GA is really hard. What is the, what was the hardest part of being a GA at South Carolina? What was like the worst part of it? Oh, man, I love my time there, but it was a grind. Uh, I mean, you legit are working probably as much or more than the, the full-timers. You're not having to do the recruiting as much, but you're, you know, you're breaking down a lot of video. Uh, I think the hardest part for me is you put so much effort and time and have a lot to do with the outcome of the games, but no one really ever sees that. I think probably that was, that was part of it, even though, you know, it's kind of like scout team a little bit. That's really what you compare it to is, is you just don't kind of get the – 
you don't get to run out of the tunnel or anything kind of thing or whatever. You know, the coaches appreciating was big for, for them. Like we won a big game on defense and they gave the GA's game balls too. was like some of the coolest things ever. Um, and that was probably the hard part. It's just the amount of time, but it was awesome. I mean, you, you worked a lot, but, but in the end, um, you were coaching, so you didn't even realize it at times. You know what I mean? Like, it's even now, like, the amount of time you work, it's harder now because you got a family in your way from, but uh, it, was, it was pretty awesome. I just remember as a player looking at watching the GAs that we had for us and just being like, their lives are very difficult. My gosh. I tell you what. Everybody's going home part, and they're going back to the office. The hardest part now that I re- is running the Dagnum Scout team. Ooh, press off. pressure. Defensive coaching, you get the offensive to execute and getting yelled at by the full timers. I'm thinking there's guys get paid millions of dollars to run this offense with players that are way better than these scout team guys to execute to block us, and you're ripping me. They're not doing the same. I'm like, well, if I was doing it the same, I wouldn't be coaching the scout team. <laughs> so no, that's tough. And and when you're a, a you're a defensive guy trying to get an offense executes a lot harder than an offensive guy saying, hey, play cover three. You know, like right. oh yeah. That yeah. that that was by far the hardest part, uh, is getting a running scout team. My coach at uh, New Hampshire, Sean McDonald, he's a really really good coach, been super successful there. His like, and he's a very very hard nosed coach, like yeah. extremely whatever you think you've seen in movies, that's what it. I mean, he is that's what he is, and he cared. He spent all of his time with the scout team offense. So, like, he was always with the defense, and he spent all of his time over there with the scout team offense, and the GAs that had to take care of that used to catch some some, yep. some, some very angry, um, very angry Sean McDonald moments. Um, so, you, what about Steve Spurrier? Um, compare Steve Spurrier to Lou Holtz. I mean, I know they're very, very different personalities, or, or they look like it from the outside, but as coaches, what's the comparison between the two? Well, Coach Holtz um, was just different. Uh, I mean, he was kind of very to himself, if you will, um, in the office, and, and, and everybody was so scared of him. No one really kind of even wanted to talk to him or anything. Uh, not that he really did anything to me, but you, you're so scared. So it just wasn't as personal, you know. It wasn't as a personal relationship, maybe, where Coach Spurry wanted to know everybody in the building. And – the person you – I didn't see the person that you see of Coach Holtz on TV in the building. You know, he's got that different personality on TV and stuff and the charismatic and talking at uh, commencement speeches and very funny. You saw that when he was in front of the team and was a great motivator. I didn't see that as a relationship with him. Me, that's just me. Right. Uh, where Coach Spurrier uh, was the same guy in the media as he was, and, and a lot of people either like it or don't like it, he was going to be the same guy, and and he always kind of thought it was funny. You'd hear some of the little knocks he would throw out there in the media. He'd kind of already throw them out in the staff meeting. And like, like he, I mean, he, he legit was just he was funny actually. And uh, I mean, I, I loved him and Miss Jerry. Miss Jerry's awesome. She's a great um, uh, kind of a mentor to to my wife as a coach's wife and stuff. So uh, they were just different in terms of that. Um, and Coach Spurry was a little more laid back with. Uh, not that he wasn't demanding. He was still demanding, but he, he just the relationship probably was a little bit different. I got a good story about him, too, one time. Go ahead. It is so, it. <laughs> Coach Holtz didn't know my name, and then Coach Spurrier gets there, and uh, I'd heard him call me Skaggs, like Ricky Skaggs kind of um, a couple <laughs> times. And, 
but he mostly would call you. He always said, Nick, was like, hey, big Chad, big Chad. And uh, come here, come here. And so that's kind of what he called people. He always had these big this or, you know, that's what he always had nicknames about everybody. Well, we're at a bowl game. So I was there a, almost a complete year, not quite a calendar year. And we're uh, at a bowl game and we're getting dressed at a high school. We're practicing. So the equipment guy throws the laundry in there. And, you know, Coach Spurrier had his own office. You never got dressed around. The head coach had his own locker room deal and the assistant coaches got dressed. Well, they threw all the laundry in this uh, high school kind of uh, locker room and uh, where we were all changing these, looking through the names, and he sees my name. He says, is it Staggs or Skaggs? I was like, Staggs? No, not like, not like Ricky Skaggs. <laughs> no, sir. Oh, I, I thought it was Skaggs. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, neither one knew my name. So I throw my resume, but I don't think I know. Yeah. <laughs> you left there known as Charlie Skaggs. Yeah. So, Rather than Chad Staggs. So I started making a name one time. I don't remember what it was. It was like on, I don't know. It was like, you know how you make the usernames up? And mm -hmm. I made Charlie Skaggs up. That, that was the name <laughs> I used. So I thought it was hilarious, actually. He didn't know your name until he saw him, your laundry. Call me Charlie and stuff like that. It's pretty funny. That's hilarious. All right. Um, so Jonathan, of course, gave me this question to ask for I wonder why. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> this was really putting you on the spot. Between the two of them, which one's a better coach? Ooh. They're both retired, Coach Staggs. It don't matter now. They're both I, I Hall of Famers and everything else in the world. They're both great. Let's say if you they're, had to hire one. They're completely different. You know, Coach Holtz was a manager of a team uh, uh, when he stepped back. You know, there's times he was more involved in offense, more in defense. He was at his best when he just managed the team and let the coordinators go. Coach Spurrier was an offensive genius. Uh, he had a knack to set people up and, and get the calls in at the right time. Uh, but then again, he was just all offense where Coach Holtz had a little more understanding defensively. But they were different. I don't know that one was better than the other. I mean, you know, Coach Spurrier probably had more success when you just look at the wins and the bowl games. But the program was at a better spot when he took over than when uh, Coach Holtz took yeah. over. So I, I don't know that I could probably say one's better than the other. They both gave me an opportunity to coach. So I would never put one above the other. <laughs> they're, but they're they're just different, you know. They're different. They're different coaches, and, and however you want to spin it, they're probably two of the top coaches of all time. And I yep. was enough to be able to be around them and have some good stories. Well, I got a question too that I sort of think about this a lot because you see it in college football. You see these a lot of times. You get coaches who sort of coach. I don't know, I, I guess at, at an older age with a lot of experience, you know, Bobby Bowden at Florida State, Joe Paterno coached there forever, um, and Lou Holtz coached at Carolina there at the end of his career. I mean, how much scheme really was Lou Holtz talking to you guys? I mean, was he really – I mean, I know that he let his coordinators do his thing, but was he – I mean, I don't know. I think sometimes the perception of, of those older coaches a lot of times is they just kind of – you know, they don't worry about football. They go out and recruit and do whatever and just kind of hang out. Um what? How much was he actually involved in the football part? He was probably more involved than you would think, um, because you know when I when I got there, there was when he was making the transition. He was going to take and work on the defense and so forth, and come over there and brought some people in because he started as a defensive coach and then ended up as an offensive coach or played DB, however it went. Um, he was involved. Um, sometimes the problem when I think coaches do that is they're part time involved and not full-time, so there's a lot of things that are not on the same page. Uh, but Coach Spurrier was completely all in with the offense. So um, 
he was very involved where coach Holtz was probably not as involved as um, of the day-to-day stuff, but he was still had his opinions on how things went when he got his video. Right. Gotcha. Coach, I want to close it here with something I'm going to call a case study in playing hard. Okay. This is about right. a guy named Carl Dukes. I want all you coaches. Listen, I'm going to paint you a picture of a football player. This is a guy who played, um, on Coach Stagg's defense. That was your first time being a defensive coordinator, right, at North Greenville? So this is Coach Stagg's first time being a defensive coordinator. Guy on the team named Carl Dukes, okay? This guy is five foot seven. He is 100% muscle. He, he would say he's 5'7". He might say he's 5'9". Coach, how tall do you think he is? Oh, he's 5'7". Is he five? Okay. So he's 5'9". I promise you that. No, he ain't, he ain't, he's not an inch above 5'7". Uh, so this guy, five foot seven, he is... 100% muscle. He calls every human he ever meets Bubba, and he played like a dog and believed. I think he actually may have believed he was a dog on the football field. He had a he had a bowl in his locker that had dog food in it. He had a beware of dog sign on his locker, and he wore a chain around his neck all the time, except when he was on the field because they wouldn't allow him to. So, Coach, let me let me interject. Let me interject something real quick. I've met Carl Dukes after his playing days. All of this does not surprise me at all after meeting him as a person. And I'll also say he is a great guy. Like, he's Amazing. a really, really, I mean, just an unbelievable guy. Would do anything in the world for you. And I've only met him a couple of times that I got a sense of him. But also understood that, like, none of this is an exaggeration. Doesn't surprise me at all. So, yeah, great guy. And, Coach, is he? have you had a guy that – like, in terms of a leader, would you say he's one of the best leaders you've had since you've been a coach? Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get another Carl Dukes. There's only one Carl Dukes in this world. I'm 100% believe that. And if ESPN did a 30 for 30 on him, it would be. <laughs> because his story and what he's done is – like, I don't think people can appreciate – I couldn't go over this on the phone and people truly appreciate what that guy's done. I mean, and what how he what he means to me. And why you do this for guys like that, unbelievable, unbelievable guy. I don't even remember the question. I just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, just I was just saying, like, he's the greatest leader, one of the greatest leaders I've been or ever been around And when I look at a team and, and the, what, he was, what he meant for our guys because he played so hard and it was he was always encouraging everybody and he always was making sure everybody was behaving the right way. But he also brought, like, this edge and this – it had been, been weird. If I would have been on all fours barking like a dog, I think people would have said, Jonathan White has lost his mind. When Dukes does it, everyone else gets on all fours and starts barking like a dog. He would quote, before the game, all he would say is DMX. He would sing like, give a dog, give a, dog a bone, leave a dog alone, let a dog roam. He going to find his way home. And then, so that was the first thing. Then he'd say, What's that sound when you want to get loose? And I, ever, I was like, what does that mean? And then I was like, oh, so we're, we're proverbially on these chains and we're barking because we want to get loose off of our chains. And I didn't know, but everybody would just start barking after he said, what's that sound when you want to get loose? So he, he brought a dog mentality and it was truly inspiring to everybody. And it wasn't weird. It was just like, this is awesome. I'm going to follow this guy. Um, what's the value, coach, to having a guy like – a leader like that on your team? There's not a, there's not one. But, you know, if you remember one of the things we did too, you were talking about culture earlier and getting on to play hard, you know, 
we kind of set that standard for the defense. We kind of named the defense. It was Black Swarm. I've done that a lot of places for different names everywhere we've been. And that label is the standard that we talked about, right? And so with that, he would do said, hey, I want to put a pit bull on it. And, and you, you remember then I put HKK or whatever because he wants to put here kitty kitty. And I'm like, where can I bring <laughs> here kitty kitty on the T-shirt? I'm not doing that. So we compromised what put HKK. So it has where it where Christ makes the difference above the shirt and this evil looking pit bull dog on it. <laughs> here kitty kitty. But I tell you, what part of that culture is Johnny still has that shirt. It meant something to him to get it. And so that is part of the culture. But anyway, to have him as the leader, that's what we're saying. To get that culture set, to play hard and, and sell out, he believed it. And he wasn't probably the best player at his position. You know, A.J. Jones was a freshman there and was super talented, ended up going to play great. But he brought that part of it. So the best for the team was to play him. Uh, and he was going to work so hard, it was hard for A.J. to ever overtake him. And there were times that we did sub him out because Carl, legit, I mean, literally, he's 5'7". He looks like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, he's – and no one was going to say anything. He's barking. He's like, hey, this guy's crazy. Like, you know, the, the, <laughs> the first meeting I ever had with him, you know, and Johnny would say, you know, he bounces when he sits. You know, what was that baseball coach for uh, Atlanta? Mazzoni. Uh, Mazzoni. He does that, like, and so the butt. I swear, he broke a bus chair uh, every time we <laughs> trip. You remember that, John? He was like, I sat behind him one time. I sat know? behind him. It was the worst mistake. It was my freshman <laughs> year. He rocked about forty-five minutes into the trip. The rocking started subsiding a little bit. He was actually reading Charlotte's Web too. He was reading Charlotte's Web. He was wearing like an old lady. You know how they they cover their eyes with like a blindfold yeah. when they sleep. He had a blindfold. The rocking stopped. All of a sudden. My knees start getting hit again by that bus seat because we're riding on charter buses. I said, I will never make this mistake again in my life. Yeah, yeah. So, so to tell you a story about him, the the first uh, meeting, I'm I'm coaching linebackers and and he's in there and you know comes in, hey, he goes, what's up, bubble? You know, like you couldn't understand it. And I'm like, dude, this is crazy. You know, like he looks like the Incredible Hulk, but he's about five foot seven. And he sits right beside me. You don't know how to take him because if you just look at him on the outside, you had no idea what was on the inside. So you kind of stereotype, well, this guy's probably a little rough around the edges and whatever. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, he's got a necklace on. You know, we always have them chains and stuff on. Not a dog chain, but a regular necklace at that point. This is before we got the dog stuff started. <laughs> and rocking in the meeting. I know y'all can't probably see me. It's just audio, but he's rocking, and that chain's just clicking. Pow, pow, pow. And I'm going to crack a joke hey man you are you killing me with that chain dog he looks at you oh i thought he was going to punch i was like oh i thought he was like, and uh i didn't know how to take him there for the first few months then i got to know him and my little boy was one years old and fell back and hit his head and split his head open and we lived right on campus and my wife calls me freaking out and I hear jack crying my mom lives 45 minutes away first person i have a i have a two-year-old daughter at that point three-year-old daughter and first person I call is Carl Dukes. He come and watch my daughter when we took him to the hospital. So that's wow. what I ended up thinking about him. So uh, and, and and what kind of relationship we had. But to have someone like that that can you just trust like that that does everything you want. He did nothing half speed, and he does nothing in life half speed. The guy's getting his doctorate degree. You know, he barely got out of high school. You know, like legit is one of the best stories that you'll ever meet, and and uh, you'll never find another one of him. To answer your question, I don't, I don't think there's another one out there. And the the lesson from that, guys, I don't think it's that you're not going to find a Carl Dukes, but when you have a guy 
who gives extreme effort and works hard and, and tries to lead, I think that our job as coaches is to empower them and to make sure that the eyes of the team are on them. They're not on the guy who's doing the wrong thing. So if you have a guy that's working hard, that does the right things, that may be a little eccentric, maybe a little odd even, but if they're doing the right stuff, let them be who they are and empower that and turn the team's attention to that. A hundred percent agree. And that's what we did. You know, I mean, I yeah. did a good job verbally, but you saw it probably from a different view, but you know, like I said, that's the reason why he's playing and you know, he wanted to pit bull and say, all right, this is your defense. That's what I tell him. Look, coaches yeah. come up. Uh, it's your team. It's going to be your school no matter what. And that's part of the business. But if you want to be good, you have to take some ownership in it. And he did. And so they wanted that. I had to keep it within bounds of the school. But uh, I was I was cool with it. But I also told him, if you're going to be that person, you're going to bark at them. You're going to label the defense. You're going to do all these things. And the media is going to talk about you. You're going to get everybody's best efforts. You better make sure you put the work in. And that's I'm sure Johnny's heard me say that. You've earned the right to be confident in what you're doing and there's a thin line between being cocky and confident and uh humility is what separates them so so that that's really a big part of it and carl duke yeah we he, he was a big part of that changing it i mean that place is different now than it was when we first got there i mean it's yeah. a completely different trajectory and we're proud of that you know charleston yeah. Southern was the same way the places we've been and the connections we made with our players how we were able to help um I don't know, but teach you some lessons, you know, even hopefully gave you more confidence in your life and you as a coach and you do things the same way and you hold people to the same standards and still love them, you know, because I was hard on you guys, but man, I loved you. You know, I I'd put my arm around you and still love seeing the old guys, but I wasn't going to lower that standard. If you were kind of banged up, I always tell you, I don't, the other coach don't care if you banged up. The other team don't care. You better fight through it, you know, and try to get them to be mentally tough and stuff, so. Coach, we asked Coach Chadwell, and we'll close with this. I just thought right. of this question. We we talked to Coach Chadwell about turning programs around, and I know that you have a, a different perspective because you've been the defensive coordinator or a defensive coach for Coach Chadwell at a lot of the places he's been the head coach. From your perspective, what have y'all done as a staff at all the places you've gone in North Greenville, Charleston Southern? You're in the process now. I know y'all are going to turn Coastal into a contender. What have y'all done to do that what has been what have been the things that have driven the success that you've had because you've gone places that haven't been extremely successful and you've turned them into winners from your perspective what what has driven that success getting the guys to buy in and creating a culture uh for that uh coach Chowell does an outstanding job you know when i was first with him he wasn't near as good of a speaker as he is now and i'm probably better but he does a great job <laughs> Uh, with the guys setting the core values, making it transparent, doing a lot of things that just is normal for us, but getting them to believe in because they want to win and hold them to that standard uh, and being disciplined. Um, you know, you I'm sure you went through some disciplined runs, but knowing that y'all were going to be held to that standard uh, is a big part. And then I also think that a lot of a, a lot of the coaches have also been with him uh, for a pretty good bit of time so we understand what he expects and the standard he expects my coaches understand what i expect and so we're all on the same page and then the last part is i think we truly enjoy being around each other that's one thing that's a little bit different in this profession is you get these guys that may have not had the relationships but we truly like each other love each other some of our best friends have been to each other's weddings or you know where kids were born at, and we went to see them in hospital a lot of things like that for a long time and i think the players see that and 
that's probably a bigger part than people would ever imagine that we truly enjoy each other uh, through the process also. And there's not, you know, it's not about any of us and we don't want to make it about them uh, in terms of the I part and all that works together. But the culture being set, setting the standard, I think, you know, they do a great job coaching. Hopefully we do a good job on defense. So I think there's a combination of culture, schematics, recruiting. You know, we, we, we've talked into battles to get Johnny trying to beat some of the schools to get him is, you know, we're, we try to be very aggressive and recruit really hard. And, uh, you know, that's what the game's about. It's been every recruit, but it's recruiting the right guys, not the best players, but you know, sometimes character or not sometimes character is more important. So that, that to me is probably what we've done. It's good. You, you want to enjoy the guys you're around coaching. It wouldn't be worth doing. There's too much work and you do too much to be around people that you don't enjoy being around. And it'd just be miserable if that was the case. But coach, a lot of the things you said were a lot of what coach Chadwell said, and I know y'all are on the same page, but I'm excited about y'all being at coastal y'all right down the road from me at North yeah. beach. So I'm going to have to come on down and check y'all out. And I tell everybody y'all are going to get it right. And y'all are going to get it to where it needs to be. I know transitioning to FBS isn't easy coming from FCS, but uh, I know y'all are going to get it right. We really appreciate you coming on with us today and talking a little bit. That's pretty cool. I guess I actually had to start listening to the podcast now, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. man. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Tweet, share it, tweet it. I had to download, uh, uh, I had to download Skype or whatever to, to do this. So uh, I'm, I'm more of a watch video on my, on my computer. <laughs> You're a huddle guy, man. You're if you're a real ball coach, you don't even know what a podcast is. You're worried about X's and O's and drawing up schemes. Got no time watching film, drawing cards. We spend most half of our life on Twitter uh, because of recruiting. Uh, You got to know what's going on, and then the other half we spend watching a screen uh, and and then or on the field. So that's kind of what we go about. But man, it was awesome getting to talk to you. This is a pretty cool deal. uh, I'm obviously we kept up with you and your dad. I still remember your dad. We got we got to throw a joke in there about your dad. I remember hearing some dude just going nuts at a game one time, all painted up, and I'll turn around. I'm like, who is that guy? Like, That's Johnny Weiss' dad. It's like he's a coach, you know. Like, he's going nuts <laughs> he, up there. He led the student. He is. He was probably 53 at the time. He led the student section at my school. There was like 18 and 19 year olds looking at this insane man, and he was like, defense, say it with me. I said, yep, that's that's my dad right there. So we had some cool experience. So that was a really, really good time. Both my kids are, you know, we're small at North Greenville, but it's a special relationship. Andre Bernardi, there's a lot of guys still coaching that was there. Andre Bernardi's up at Furman now, and uh, he was a great leader. You know, obviously he didn't play with you, but uh, man, it was a great time, man. I I enjoyed it. Good time. You're a small place, but we had a lot of success, had a lot of fun, and uh, we appreciate it, and it's been good to see you rise in your career as well. But, yeah, you'll have to check out the podcast this time. I Start will. listening to every episode. I will. Well, I will do it for sure. I got to listen to this one, see how, how big of an idiot I made myself on some of them. See if my Lou Holtz – I can actually see if my Lou Holtz impression is as good as I think. Hey, we'll title it Charlie Skaggs, defensive <laughs> linebackers coach at Coastal. <laughs> Great idea. All right, Coach. All right, All right. see you. Chad, that was – Pretty entertaining for me. What'd you get out of that talk with Coach Staggs? Well, I think that we need to start a Lou Holtz impression tournament. I mean, that's that's what this podcast is turning into now. It is. Everybody is just like we're starting to interview with coaches, and they he coach so Coach Staggs before um, when we were off air before we actually started recording, like he was excited about getting to do his Lou Holtz impression to see if it was better than Eric Kimry's. So apparently, there's like. 
there's something there. People really, really, really who have been around Lou Holtz um, really like taking their shots at seeing who has the best impression. So we, I, I, my vote's got to be with Eric Camry. I'm going with Coach Camry. I love you, Coach Staggs. You're a great coach, but I think Camry has him edged a little bit. What do you think? I think from a pure impression, probably so. But I think Stag's story um, was was really funny about him not knowing his name. <laughs> like that's like I mean, he had a pretty good story in there. And the weird thing is that when you watch Lou Holtz on TV, you don't see him as this hardened old man that you could never talk to. Not he just he seems like that like really energetic kind of crazy granddad. But uh, right. apparently, he's not that way, according to the people we've spoken with. Um, and they say he was tough, like real tough. But, yeah, that was good stuff. Um, three, four defense. I, I don't think he wanted to show his hand too much on that, understandably so. Hopefully we have a lot of college coaches listening on here. I don't know. Maybe Les Miles needs to listen to this and get a better <laughs> idea of how to score on him. <laughs> yeah, but, I uh, wanted to ask more about defense. And then as I was doing it, I was like, because we did this before the season, I was like, he's not going to tell us all his defensive secrets right before a college football season. But um, he still gave some good stuff. Yeah, he did. Uh, Want to move on, Chad. We got, we've been thinking about these cliches now, and it's a lot easier, I think, now that we're in the season. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about this week, and the main idea is, why do coaches always think when they're watching film of the other team that the players on the other team are always doing as they're coached? For example, I saw a scrimmage this year, and there was a team playing. I'm not going to name them. And their defensive linemen on the snap stood up and did not – like, he stood straight up and took steps kind of backwards, did not run, did not jog. He's a nose move. tackle. Yeah, didn't – I actually – I sent you a video of it. Yeah. He did not move towards the football. Now, I don't think that that's – I don't know. Do you think that his coaches is – his coaches are extremely angry about that? Do you think he got ripped for that? Because I think a lot of people will be like, their coaches are sorry. Well, the whole point of this question is that, you know, a lot of times when kids screw up, when you're watching Tate, you end up saying that it's an indictment of that other coaching staff. Like, that's what they're coaching him to do, to stand up and backpedal at a nose, at an, um, from a nose tackle. And I know the coach of the team who did that, and I can assure you that that is not what that kid was coached to do. Now, there's context. Is this kid, you know, is – is it at the end of the scrimmage? Do you have any context for the video? I don't think it was at the end. So you like no, he's yeah. a guy that they think like needs to be good for them. <laughs> I, I, it may have been in the middle. It may have been in the middle. Oh, but. then I, I feel sure that that coach, if that's a kid that they are counting on, like that, you know, getting snaps for them, I feel sure that he was pretty upset. I don't know. Do you do you think what position do you think is the easiest one to do that with? I feel like DBs a lot of times coaches are like, "What the heck is that kid doing? Why is his you know why is his body turned this way or why is why are his eyes there?" And I'm like, you know why? Probably because he's 16 years old <laughs> and he's thinking about the girl that he wants to talk to at school rather than, "Hey, it's cover three. This is my job." Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah, do you have that issue with your – with any players you've ever coached, have you ever had guys that you're like, why? What What are you doing? Well, don't – doesn't everybody have that all the time where you just ask them why a lot? I know I, really, I have. We I talked about it. There's the probably buddy, coaches – The Buddy Stevens thing from last chance you where he just starts screaming at his offensive lineman why. Like, I can relate to that very easily. 
Like, they just do stuff, man. They're kids. What's the dumbest thing that you think your people have seen your team do on film that they could have said, this guy's an idiot about? Oh. Um, Is there anything that you just had a player do that you were like, I cannot believe that that just happened? Um, I mean, I don't think that we've had anything too crazy. I mean, we had a kid, like, actively run towards a punt and ended up tripping over himself and hitting it, and the other team picked it up. Which, um, yeah, they know that that's not – they know that you didn't coach your kid to, do to that. run towards the yeah. punt, right? He he was a starter too, like in a close game, and it happened. But he was a freshman, and like literally, he didn't really. I mean, it's probably an indictment on me. Like he really didn't fully understand what a muff punt meant, and that, or and how that worked. Um, JV games are the worst. If you if you get a ooh. JV game, we we played another team last week in a JV game that their punt a guy on their punt return team. You, it's the worst moment in football when they punt the ball and it doesn't go far and your guys are standing out there and everyone starts screaming Peter and you just know that that kid you put out there that doesn't know his last name, he's like, The ball's what? headed straight towards him, too, every time, oh, like a oh. daggum laser-guided missile. And if it straight don't go at the kid him, who doesn't know anything. If it doesn't go near him, he's going to sprint right beside it. Oh, yeah. He's going to sprint right beside the football. He's just going to pan it like but, a – like a, a army guy, when a grenade drops, he's just looking around and he's just gonna take off somewhere. And every time he's going to run right where the ball bounces. Well, in the in the kid in this game that we had, they, one of their players ran to the ball and just put his hand down on it. They're they're on punt return. He just put his hand on the ball. Wait, like he, the, the the kid that was on the punt return team. Yes, it was put like his a hand on the ball. It was like a lineman. He just <laughs> put his hand down, not his body. Just touched it with his hand, and. Uh, I mean, we didn't get it surprisingly, but I was like, "Oh my gosh!" What their did? Could you like look across and see what their coaches were doing? Oh, they're about to have a heart attack and they're freaking out. <laughs> they, yeah, it's yeah, they're 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 about to have an aneurysm. But you know, whenever those dumb things happen to your team, how good does it feel? Like I was just Emma was playing Carolina, and they got an interception, but they had twelve men on the field because one of their defensive linemen was trying to figure out. Do I need to be? <laughs> and you can tell, back. like, he kind of knew he wasn't supposed to be there, but, like, he wasn't completely sure, so he just starts head on a swivel, looking at the sideline, looking back, trying to see, oh, we've got too many defensive linemen, and it's just panic time. Just start sprinting. Doesn't that feel good, though, when you see, like, Alabama do that after you had 12 guys on the field on a Friday night? Like, you feel like it's only me. And then you see Nick Saban doing it, it's like, yes. Dude, I feel like that about everything. Like, if I lose a game – like, I can't wait for some, like, coach that has, like, a ton of pressure in college on them to lose. This <laughs> is like, because then somebody's life is worse than mine. Like, I don't make millions of dollars to do this. Like, I don't have millions of people watching me doing this. So, so that you, definitely makes me feel better. That's about anything. Like, you absolutely. Feel, you're just like, it's not actually, it, it isn't that you are better, but it's like, I'm glad someone else feels my pain. It's like, I... Nick Saban can feel the anger that I feel whenever my punt team doesn't get out there right. Right. Like, I, if I lose to a, like, a good 2A team as a 1A team, like, I'm very upset. But then I see, like, a Big Ten coach who makes $2 million a year lose to a FCS team. Like, his life is worse than mine, which makes me feel a little bit better. Why, why is that, though? Because I feel like being a college football coach is, like, the best gig in the world because – you have this contract, and let's say that Mike D'Antoni gets fired at Michigan State. Mike, Mike D'Antoni. Is that the 
That's the basketball coach, That's isn't it? Definitely the basketball coach. <laughs> what the heck is Michigan What's State head basketball coach? It's D'Antonio, right? Yeah, whatever. Something let's D'Antonio. Say, now let's say uh, Jim Harbaugh. If he gets fired, he's gonna get paid millions of dollars, and then he just goes to chill. Like, all right, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, get another job doing something. Like he could probably be, go be an offense coordinator in the NFL or. You know, move down a level, still get paid a ton of money, or just go be on ESPN and work one day a week in the fall and make a lot of money doing that. It's a sweet gig. Like, it's it's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal. I mean, the pressure's real when you're in that situation, but once you yeah. – I don't know. Once you get told you're fired, hey, here's your check for $10 million. But don't you think, though – like, I've thought about that. It's like – I don't know. Like, I think – I could see how that pressure could like be very unenjoyable because like you don't like everything's relative. Like, yeah, they make a lot of money, but like they're still like a person. So once you start making that much money, it's really like you end up being in your own bubble anyway. And so like whatever's real to you is it's the same thing for them. It's just on a different level. Does that make sense? You just got, yeah. I mean, they're, they're not so sitting like, there as like a high people, school coach, and they're like, they're not sitting there like, I wish I had millions. They're like, I already got millions of dollars. I want to win. Exactly. Like, there, yeah. there, there are people who make less money than like a high school coach does, and like things that go on in their job, they still like want to go. They might look at your job and be like, oh, well, he makes that much money. Like, who cares if he lo- loses a game or whatever? Like, it's somebody in another job, like yeah. that makes less than we do. But so every, it's all relative to whatever you're doing. Like, they just want to win. That's true. You just got philosophical there for a second. I did. Where's Eric Kimmer at? I don't know, man, but his Twitter is awesome. Like, if you go look at his stuff, you have to be really smart to understand some of it. Like, sometimes <laughs> I'm reading it, and I'm like, whoa, let me, let me slow want down. I not think this hard at 7.30 in the morning when I start scrolling on Twitter. Yeah, he's, he's good. You need to follow him and listen to his podcast, the Fade In Podcast. But... Um, yeah, these it's honestly guys, it's a lot harder to put out an episode every week in season. Um, Chad's pretty busy as a head coach and I'm busy myself as an assistant, but, uh, hopefully you can get a lot out of all these episodes. we got more coming. Um, hope you enjoyed coach Staggs and listening to him, Chad, you got anything else, Bo? No, just watch coastal play. They're fun. They're a fun team to watch. And obviously we've got, we've had their head coach as a guest. Um, defense coordinator as a guest. We're going to be releasing an episode with their co-offensive coordinator as a guest here. Um, so obviously we've got a good relationship with all those guys and um, Jonathan played for played with or for a lot of those guys, but um, they're really, really good staff and they're doing some good things at Coastal. So you get a chance to watch them, watch them. I mean, um, they're on ESPN. Program. Well, they're on the ESPN. If you have ESPN Continue. We've had a lot of y'all reach out to us on Twitter at Coaches Drive. Um, reach out to us on Twitter, thecoachesdrive at gmail.com. You can send us some email. Uh, let us know ideas and uh, topics you'd like for us to talk about, guests that we could get on the show that would be really good and giving insight. Um, remember, subscribe, rate, and review. We greatly appreciate it, and I uh, hope you continue to learn and get something out of it.